Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ashes World. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Virginia Ongar, and she is also the Sigourney Award winner for this year. Welcome to Ashes World and congrats. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to have this conversation with you. I'm very much looking forward to it. But to get, get us started here, how would you briefly describe yourself? What would you say about yourself here to our audience? Oh, a good question. A good question. I describe, I would, yes. Yes, I'm a, a woman first. Uh, I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I lived all my life here. I started to think about becoming an analyst when I was in university college you would say in hmm? in the united states but here it's a university uh, i started studying anthropology then i started my first analysis when i was 17 years old because my father suggested me if he asked me if i would like to see an analyst and i said yes but you have to take into account that this is Argentina. Mm -hmm. So this is this is Argentina. You, you know that there are it's famous for you know the the, the amount of an, psychoanalysts and psychotherapists we have here, but also because they are very good trained and and there is good and very good analysis here. So I started my first analysis and in the second year I decided that, that I would like to become, I wanted to become an, an analyst. And at that time, during that time, it was, you know, needed the, a request to be uh, an MD or an MD. So I left anthropology and then I went to medical school and this was a very, very good period of my life. I've learned a lot, not only about my body and the way it functions, and it, but also because I was able to be in contact with, uh, with a different, how can I say this, a different, different people. I, this is where I learned about diversity, because here, as you know, we university is free. There are some private university, but I'm a product of public education, elementary, high school, and university, public for free. So the last, yes, yes, the, the, the last three years of the School of Medicine, you go every day to a hospital. So I was able, public hospital, public hospital, so I was able to, you know, to know people, amazing. It was a, an amazing experience. And I started my, so you asked me my, how I define, describe myself. I'm a woman. I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a psychoanalyst. And uh, I'm interested, you know, in every, you know, expression of culture. And I, what, as you know, I I was uh, president of the IPA for a period, 2017 to 2021. 
And then I became interested in politics. So now you, I'm interested. You were the first woman to become. Uh, yes. Congrats to that too. I mean, since since Freud's time, that was, uh, uh, you're the very first one. So uh, a pioneer as well. It's wonderful. And uh, so yes. I was kind of interested in, yes, because it goes back to Freud of having that, that medical degree to become a, a psychoanalyst. And so um, he was also interested in anthropology in a way because that's what you do with psychoanalysis. You, you dig into, you look for, for, for traces and signs, you dig into your childhood. So I find it's really important for his worldview as well, talk about Freud, of like diving into that. How did that influence your decision too of like, you know, looking deep inside and finding uh, things from the past that influence the present? Yes, and you know, when I was very young, it was, you know, very important. And I was attracted to the fact that digging, you can find traces of the past. And I imagine myself as an archaeologist. But then I have to tell you that now I have a different view. I think that we, as, do you want me to tell you about oh, sure, this? Oh, sure, yeah, I'd love to hear now, I think nowadays and today, I say I think that psychoanalysis is a combination of digging into the past, but also I think that during an analytic treatment, uh, psychoanalytic treatment, there are there is something that is created within the analytic couple that can be completely new. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. I love that. I think that's one of my uh, criticism, if you like, of, of Freud, where he talks about the epiphany, the insight, and then you're done. And I think, no, you're not done. Let's take it to the next step. What do we do with it? You need to, to guide us. And somebody like Otto Rank, I, I love who was his secretary at the time, but he really showed up like the creativity is important, the relationship between the analyst and, and the client and all that. And uh, the existential part of it is like, what comes next? How do I incorporate this knowledge into my life and learn from it? And I love what you're saying because it feels like, yes, that's the direction you will be taking. Yes, I think that this is, it is very important to take into account that we can, we are also working with novelties, you say, new things that are created within the analytic couple. There is, you know, a very interesting article and a book from an Argentinian couple. No, they were not Argentinian, they were born in France, the Baranger. So they spoke about the analytic link. So something new is created between, you know, when with the encounter of two minds. And of course, it's a combination of digging into the past, but also give to give the possibility, in a way, as a psychoanalyst, you offer your mind, you know, you offer your mind as a playground in a way where something new can be created. So this is the emphasis I would like to this is what I would like to emphasize today. And that's what a relationship is, because you have two individuals who combine and create something new, which is the, the couple, right? The relationship that they, or friendship or any kind of relationship that we have with others. And so when we look at also like somebody like Melvin Klein, who talks about again, relationships, object relations, and so on. So it becomes so important to make sure that uh, uh, you are not uh, dragged down by the past. That the past is not limiting you. That the past is not 
taking you in the wrong direction. And again, by by undigging all the, 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 the pain, suffering, trauma that we have, misconceptions, so you can free your mind and then you, you, you can choose better and your relationships will become better and uh, you love better and so on. So, uh, yeah, would you agree with that? Yeah, we, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And so, but your, your focus is also a lot about on children and adolescents, is that correct? So that's what you look at. So what, what are some of the, the challenges now, especially in, in that modern times with technology and with like access yeah. to information and social media and so on? What would you say, what are some of the things we need to watch out for in today's world? Yes. Um... You know, I've studied a lot the issue of, you know, how information is, you know, is given now. And of course, you know, the the change in culture from the times in which psychoanalysis, when psychoanalysis was born, it was in modern era, in the Victorian era. So there is a different, there was a different concept of, uh, of you know of the role of men and women, family configuration, sexuality. So Freud made a huge revolution, a huge revolution. But I think that we have to, to take into account now more than ever the relationship with the external world. You know, my roots are Kleinian and post-Kleinian in terms of analytic schools. But I think that today we have to take into account the context. You know, this is, from my point of view, the most important thing now. So children are raised in a different way. I, I've always been a, a child analyst uh, analysts and an adolescents, I, I love to work with adolescents and children. And they taught me a lot. They taught me a lot. They taught me a lot because they first they oblige you to talk in a simple way. And I sometimes frequently I I people say that I speak in a in a simple language conveying very, very complex ideas. And I think that this is, uh, I have to thank my experience with children. So uh, I think that we have to take into account that part of, or the most important part of their lives are they live in media, you know? This the whole world is here. So so I don't I'm basically optimistic, so I don't take this as a tragedy. I think that an analyst has to be very careful and not to take sides like technology will you know will kill creativity, will you know will will make a disaster. On the other hand, I don't think that if we are working with an adolescence, we, we, I think it's not a good position to let them know that we are, you know, very, we are friendly. 
It's okay. This is what is happening now. But I think the most important thing regarding information and in a way universally is this is a, a this is something that is happening all over the world and i think that we have to take this uh, into account to see how somebody uses technology exactly i see it as a tool exactly so it's an opportunity but how do we use mm -hmm. the tool right and you can use it for good things or bad things you can use it in, in a moderate amount or you can use too much of it but i think the opportunity is there and we're having this com conversation thanks to technology it would not have been yeah. possible in the past right so i really uh, so i don't think it's an either or issue or a good or bad thing but i'm not inclined to talk about that like, don't don't just like choose one side here but really like look at it in terms of like what can it bring to you and uh, so as what kind of tools should especially uh younger children uh, children and uh, adolescents use it for what would you recommend? How can technology help them to uh, uh, kind of grow as well and not have a negative effect on them? What are some tips you might have for them? And, and I think that psychoanalysis is in a way accepting this because this is reality. This is the reality we live in. There is a debate regarding analysis for analysts. I think that my position is that at least you have to meet for some time in person because to become an analyst without, you know, seeing what at least a, a small amount of time, I don't think it's possible. But it gives us tools. You know, during the pandemic, I was the president when the pandemic started. So we we made the necessary change very fast. So all the teaching went to online, even the analysis, supervision. We organized seminars, webinars, and we needed to be in contact because in different countries there were different policies of isolation. But we needed to, we needed to be in contact in order to be able to contain our patients. So we, are in the, we were and we still are in the same boat. Patient analysis, we live in the same world and we are sharing the same reality nowadays with the war. So, you know, reality, what it was called external reality, it enters in your consulting room. There's no way to deny it. And, and I've always thought of normal. What is normal is what is the norm. So if everybody is using technology and you don't use technology, then you're not falling into that norm and you're, you're kind of excluding yourself from it. So I, I know parents who don't have, allow their kids to use technology and I feel they're doing actually harm. I mean, they mean well, but they're doing harm because you're excluding the child from connections with others, which is through technology. They don't have things in common anymore. So I think, as you say, the context and the times are important of adjusting to that. And if you look at children, the perception of children, when you go back to like 19th century and again, Victorian times as well, they were seen as many adults. There was like, oh, and basically just like anybody else who didn't have, Anna Freud brought it into the discussion, right? But it was, it was just treated as like any other person and they would work, right? or no uh, child labor laws and so on, and treated like adults. And today, I think we're just not giving enough, giving them enough credit because I think their their opinions really value. They they have things to teach us, and we see it's like 
top down or I'm the parent, I'm the authority and you obey me. And that's not working uh, well either. So uh, how can we find that, that, that right balance there too, in terms of parenting and educating? You are, you are right. You know, I think that we can think that there was a time when psychoanalysis started where all the, you know, the focus was on the patient. Then with the English School of Psychoanalysis on the analyst because of counter-transference. A third time was the analytic link. But now I think that we cannot exclude what is happening in the context in which that analysis is taking place. So I think that it is important and not only to listen to children. Yes, I think that it's very important to listen. Children were not listened because they were considered a different word, but now you have to listen to children. And I think that we have to tell them, a friend of mine, Florence Guignard, wrote beautiful words about uh, what, you know, child analysis means today, but she referred to the, you know, the whole population. You have to tell, to let the kids know that if you're, if you're feeling anxiety, it's not an illness. This is something that everybody has anxiety. If he's scared of something, okay, let's talk about this. So, I think that it is it is important to listen they to the to the children and adolescents because adolescents you know is a crucial point in our development you know that all movements of big changes came from from that age so uh, we have to pay attention and we know that going into the adult world nowadays is not easy with the amount of violence and it's not easy. So we have to be, we have to pay attention to them. And I think gender comes into play too, when we talk about again, boys who are not supposed to cry or can show anxiety and so on, they're supposed to be tough. And uh, thank goodness this is changing, but it's taking a lot of time. The paradigm really needs to change of really opening up to, to your feelings, right? And so I, I have an adolescent boy is 14 and I've always like encouraged that, you know, express you, you, if you want to cry, you cry, you just let it flow. These are emotions. This is, being human and if you don't do it's not human and i've also found it interesting how the research shows that the easygoing children or babies are actually the ones that have issues so it's not good that they're not crying so crying is an important part of our existence of living life right and being open to an anxiety and all those their emotions and they're there and we have to acknowledge them you are right because if you see a, a kid that has no symptoms or no even worries or I think as a psychoanalyst that he or she is overadapting. Yeah. We call it overadapted kids. So they seem not to nothing happens. They are good students, but to deal with emotions is not simple. And also, you know, parents now are not able to give their time to children. It's not, some of them, it's not that they don't want, they cannot. Yeah. You know, the pressure to success, for success, I don't know what success means. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know what, what success means, but you know, the pressure has, you know, you have to earn money, to have enough money to pay very good schools. So they will go to very good universities. So they will get, they will get a very good job. So it's, it's the culture that is yes. putting pressure. And it's, it's parents. The, the, yes, exactly. The parents, because they have to work and then they put the same uh, mentality and uh, worldview onto their kids who then are encouraged to, to work extra hard. And, and for what? Again, that idea of success, I love that. Where you say, well, what is success? You know? and, I, don't, I, don't, I must confess, I don't know what success means. And, and, and we're often driven. I think that's it. So what I love about kids, specifically uh, younger children, their sense of play. Because when they're engaged in play, and that's me at when I'm in the zone, like podcasting or, or reading a good book or, or attending an opera, I am in that zone, which I love. And time it stops. There's no time. There's no, I don't even exist anymore. You become one with the activity, whatever that is. And that taught me a lot of things, just watching my, my child who gets uh, enveloped in that. And I find it's not encouraged enough because parents often like try to pull them away from it. Or in school, you're just like, okay, no, don't daydream. You need to focus on this, which is probably quite boring stuff for them, right, specifically. So, and we get issues with that too, where people over-prescribe medication because apparently they can't focus, but um, some of the stuff is boring and it's natural to, to drift away and so on. So I think there needs to be more acknowledgement of the point of view of children specifically. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm, I was and I still am and I will be interested in children and I... You know, I worked a lot in in, in the institutional uh, world. You know, trying to put child psychoanalysis, child and adolescent psychoanalysis, in a in a good place. And I think that's part of I, what I've done. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's wonderful. So, was mostly Klein uh, the influence you have your approach, or what are you looking at specifically here? What no, is so, so now today? I, I'm you know, I work with children, but not with little children because I'm aging and I think that they need to be in contact with young people. But I work on assessment and supervisions and clinical discussion. And and I, I, I'm still working with adolescents. And even if I know that they think that they belong to a different world and that I belong to a world that I don't understand them. But when you come to an agreement with an adolescent, it's, you know, the it's rewarding to work yeah. with them. Yeah, yes, yes. that's so creative, so yes, yes, yeah. uh, yes. And giving them the freedom to, to develop that though. And I think that's important for them to explore and to saying like, not like pushing them in a certain direction, which uh, uh, sometimes parents, they mean well, but they try to like send them in a, in a, in a, cer a certain uh, path, which uh, often is their own path, not the child's path, the adolescent's path. Yeah. Yes, and I think that what you mentioned is very important, the importance of playing, mm -hmm. playing, playing, you know, but playing is not only to, to play with toys, playing has to do with creativity, the most important part of our world. So our internal world. So to be playing 
Winnicott they said that playing heels yes. in itself. Yes. But when when you have a a, a kid with suffering symptoms, phobias, or whatever, it is not enough to play. You, the child, or your patient, your little patient, needs to know that we are playing, we are playing, but that I'm trying to think about what's going on. Not only playing. There mm -hmm. is an adult who is trained for that, who can think about what is going on. So it's very interesting, the world with children. And, and to take and that... Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and so to take it into our own adult lives too, because we're so, as you say, focused on success and we're stressed and so on. And when you're stressed, you can't play. I think the two, like, they can't, they don't really work. You need to be relaxed and open to be able to receive information and, and, and creativity. And so to bring a more playful, more relaxed attitude to the workplace, for example, I think that would be very, very helpful too for, for adults. Of, of course. And, and, you know, moreover, in a way, the children's play is equivalent to the adults' dreams. Mm -hmm. So Melanie Klein says that, that she interpreted the children, the play of children in the same way she interpreted dreams to mm -hmm. adults. So this is, if you don't have a, an relaxing atmosphere, you will see that you will not remember your dreams. This is, yes. During these days that are so stressful, so patients are having difficulties, you know, with remembering, because we always dream, but you need to remember the dreams. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that the pandemic has been also very tough on, on children and adolescents specifically. I mean, for everyone, right? Everyone is affected by it. But for them to to be in that, uh, where you try to make sense of what does that, this mean? It's like a very uh, unusual event that happened and everyone uh, uh, suffered from it. But I'm not sure that they were really taken into uh, account there, that they were really acknowledged and helped enough. And so I, I think that needs to shift and we still need to work on that, right? It's not over yet. There's still like lingering effect mm -hmm. of the pandemic. I, you know, what I found out regarding children and young adolescents is something that was very, very difficult and sad because you know that they were aware of something that was terrible that they could be the way his his or her grandparents could get ill and die. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were asymptomatic and they can have the virus and infect. And so this was the most painful thing I faced when I treat, you know, in, treat, in child treatment, in child, because they took care of the... You know, there was an inversion of the generational way of dealing with life, you know? So they had to take care of the elder. So it was very painful. And the, we are still seeing, you know, the consequences. Kids that have, you know, traveled to sleep, uh, eating disorders, phobias, they don't go out. They don't want to go out. Yeah, yeah. we are still dealing, yeah. Yeah. But but in many ways, the, the, the good thing, and I always like you talk about optimism, and that's always my view too, 
the good thing is, I think, like, especially also with, with my son, he's been very helpful to uh, adapt to technology. Like, he's my source. So I think in many ways he feels validated because now my dad needs help for his work and for what he does. So it makes them feel important, which is true, and they should be. It should be like that. Yeah. It's true. It's it's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we reach out for help because they do. This is their world. And I found it also interesting because it gives me a glimpse into how he perceives things through technology and the importance for him. I just wish yes. you had both of them because our, our generations have a, a time where we didn't have technology and we do have it. So we have both worlds. And I think a yes. lot of kids, uh, children and the young adults are have missed out on that. They don't know. They can't imagine a world without a smartphone, without technology. And we can. Right? So, yeah. Let me tell you something else I found out. I found out that, you know, when, when I see uh, in my playroom, my office for children, uh, a, a, a child. I I don't offer, ele, you know, electronic mm. devices. I mm. offer the same simple toys I offered 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they play. Oh, they good. play. Mm -hmm. They play. You know, only once a kid asked me, do you have a, a, a laptop? And I said, yes, I have it, but it's better for us to play. And that was it. Of course, they bring their phones and they say, oh, I want to show you that little girl that I like her. She sent me a message or they want to, you to listen to a song that is changed his or her life. Okay. Okay. But I, I think that I had a, you know, I felt relieved that they can play with simple toys. What they play with what they have. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Now it's also curious. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, no, no, because regarding technology, you know, they are like DJs. You mm -hmm. you know that DJs combine mm -hmm. music and sound, so they combine and they create, even with technological devices the children. I like that. Yeah, again, immersing them into another world too. And uh, I, I know with my son, he says he doesn't like small talk because, you know, and that's probably technology because you're like straight to the point. And it's like, but we went to a friend's place and he enjoyed talking. And he actually told me after that, it's like, it was a great conversation. And he was without his phone the whole evening through, which was an accomplishment. So as you're saying, it's quite possible. We just have to maybe nudge them a little bit, push them slightly in that direction. Yes, to expose them to art, to take them to, you know, exhibitions, concerts, mu music, dance. Yes. And, uh, something I am quite fascinated about is why is why do you think is psychoanalysis so important in Argentina? And you mentioned that as 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 a teen, as a young adult, you were you were you were uh, kind of encouraged to see an analyst. I wish somebody had done that with me. I grew up in Germany, and it would have helped me a lot. I think I would have been uh, uh, developed much differently, much faster than, than that. So why is it resonating so much specifically in in Argentina? What would you say? You know, th this is a question that I've been asked about this. I have my own theory. I don't know because this belongs to the, you know, social studies field. But mm -hmm. 
And the other thing is why it took so long to have a, a female president of the IPA. That These is a very good question, yes. Difficult to understand. The first, I think, but this is my idea. You know, Argentina is a country of immigrants. <laughs> it has 200 and more, some more years, but it was, you know, it, it's, it is a country that was built up with immigrants. And I think that immigrants, wanted to give everything to their kids, you know, for their kids to, in the modern ideal of progress, you know, they wanted to give, and they gave uh, to their children the opportunity to see an analyst. And, you know, it's still like, like that. My father was a physician. He was a radio, he was a radiologist. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, there, there is a personal history, little anecdote that I broke up with a boyfriend and he saw me, he said, oh, I, you look sad. What, do, don't you want to see an analyst? And it happened that I saw the, one of the most important analysts in Argentina in the history of analysis because his daughter went with me, went to school with me to high school. So... Jose Blecher, Jose Blecher, and my first interview was with him, so it was an amazing opportunity. You know, I entered in psychoanalysis, taking my father took my hand and and you know accompanied. So I'm I'm so grateful. But it wasn't it was it wasn't you know a, a strange thing in in Argentina. You go now to a public school and you ask all the class eight years old, nine years old. Do you know what an analyst is? And they raise their hand, 80%. Yeah. So. But it's not like in the US and in Canada where I'm at, it's not as, as common. It's not, we're not as open to that. And it's often frowned upon because it's not seen as, as a science, quote unquote, and so on. So, uh, and, and I'm worried about that because for the longest time I, I studied it a bit and I thought, well, there's psychoanalysis, but until I actually took it seriously over the past uh, five years or so, where it's like, no, the, the unconscious is real. This is real. This is making a difference. And it changed my life completely. And I wish I okay. had done that much earlier so I'd be even uh, happier. Than I was lucky. Right. I have to tell you, I was lucky. I was born in a country that gave this opportunity. And, you know, the first uh, psychoanalytical association was founded in 1942. So with mostly immigrants that came escaping from the from the Nazi regime in Europe and some others who were there and and there was a you know they met and and they made it you know grow in a, such an amazing way I cannot say that today psychoanalysis is you know like it was when I was an adolescent, because there are other ways, you know, other kinds of psychotherapies, they are good, but I'm still in favor of psychoanalysis going deeper and deeper. Yeah. So am I, so am I. And uh, congrats to winning the Sigourney Award, uh, which again shows your, your contributions to the uh, psychoanalytic field. So uh, congrats to that, well-deserved. And uh, uh, Dr. Virginia Unger, um, uh, you're a psychoanalyst, ex-president at the IPA. And uh, thank you so much for being in our rush as well. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure for me to talk with you. Thank you.